being a millennial, we grew up in the age of reality shows. If you think about it, we had the MTV. That's when like reality shows, the like newlyweds, what was they like uh, Jessica Simpson and Nick Lachey when they had their, like it was one of the first reality shows. And we grew up on, we grew up on behind the scenes and that was millennials. We wanted to know what was happening behind the scenes, but it was still curated. It was still filtered. It was still a form of, if you will, a filtered vulnerability, better than the previous generation who everything is fine all the time until my life goes up in flames and I can no longer hide the fact that everything is not quite fine. Millennials, we had a bit more of a grasp to be able to say not everything's awesome, but it was still filtered. What I feel like with Gen Z is I feel like if millennials wanted to see behind the scenes, Gen Z want to be able to smell like your morning breath. Well, what's up guys? We hope you're feeling alive right now. I'm Micah Keneally. I'm Josiah Keneally. We're your hosts. This is the Young Adults Today podcast. Today's episode is brought to you by Venture. Venture is a church planting and community development nonprofit that really works with the toughest places of the world serving war refugees, trafficked people, oppressed children, and the unreached. And through Venture Miles, you can make your miles matter by going on adventure hikes. You can go biking, running, raising funds, and also bringing forth awareness in the process. Look, Venture is something that we are both incredibly passionate about. We give to and support. And Mm -hmm. man, we're both Venture alumni of different programs and runs. And we'd encourage you to check out more at www.youngadults.today slash partners. Imagine if you could go and talk to some of the greatest leaders all around the world and ask them one simple question. What is your daily prayer life like? Well, myself and Cam Doolittle and Peter Greer were able to do this with amazing leaders like Francis Chan and John Mark Comer, John Ortberg, Johnny Erickson Tata. And then we expanded our search to global church leaders in six different continents whose ministry and leadership covers over a hundred different countries. And what we discovered was absolutely incredible. People around the world were being led by the Holy Spirit to have similar prayer lives, from a New York financier to someone working in a refugee camp in a war zone. Their prayer lives started looking similar and their patterns were emerging. And we took all those patterns and put them together in a book called Lead with Prayer, a study in the prayer lives of extraordinary leaders around the world. There's a study that said that a supermajority of leaders are not satisfied with their prayer lives and the prayer culture where they lead. And this book, We're Praying, can launch a movement of prayer amongst leaders. And this is a chance for all of us to sit at the feet of praying leaders around the world and learn how to pray as leaders. Imagine what would happen if God's leaders around the world started truly becoming people of prayer. It could change everything. This is the Young Adults Today podcast, where every week we drop new episodes on Monday morning, helping you start and strengthen your life and leadership. Mm -hmm. And we appreciate every time you leave us a review and share this episode with others who may find it beneficial. Uh, Kick it to our guests. Oh my goodness. Well, we are thrilled to have a female speaker. I always say this every single time. It's always fun to have a female guest. And our female guest today is Elise Murphy. Elise, how are you? Welcome. I'm doing so good. I'm so happy to be here with you guys. Thanks for having me. Of course. And thank you for saying yes. And for those of you who do not yet know who Elise 
is she is an incredible individual. She's a speaker. She's an author, a podcaster, and she's our friend. And we are so thrilled to have her. We're going to lean into a little bit of her story today, a little bit of her passions. And for you as the audience to get to know her, she is just on fire for Christ. And I would say if I could describe her in one word, I would say zealous. Like there is yeah. a zeal and a passion for life, for God, and for people that it just emulates from her. And I know that we've only met once in person and online a couple of times, but we love your heart and we are so thrilled. So welcome to the show. Oh, thank you so much. That means the world. You guys are I mean, everyone that's watching this would know this. You guys are so immediately lovable. It's wild. Like, it is wild. The first time I met Josiah, um, I remember just being like, you are just, are you this likable all the time? This is wild. And then when I met you, Micah, and put the whole picture together, just what you guys are doing is phenomenal. So any way I can add to what you guys are already doing, I'm so in. So again, I'm so pumped for for the conversation we're going to have. And um, I'm excited. Yes, I love it. We're well, excited too. And I, I'm looking at the screen right now and I'm like, well, she can flat out preach and she can flat out preach. And so I'm, just, <laughs> I'm here out I'm of my the league. Presence of God. Let's no. go. He's here for a good time. He's here to be, to observe. <laughs> oh, he'll be our cheerleader he can preach too don't let him fool you exactly fool exactly you. exactly oh my gosh well at least for the person who may not know who you are um can you just share a little bit about your journey your life and story and how you got to where you are today yeah I mean I'm a Australian church kid honestly just was from a sheltered church kid home and 10 years ago, I moved to Los Angeles from um, my childhood bedroom in Sydney, Australia, which is always an important point because I had never lived by myself. And I just decided, why not fly to the other side of the world, Los Angeles, Hollywood, and um, see what happens. And we sure did see what happens. <laughs> but I had the privilege and honor of uh, working for a church, Oasis Church, for eight years. And um honestly, that place became home and it helped me grow up. And I'm such a big believer in the local church and in building the local church. And um, I'm so grateful for my time there, ups and downs and so much in between. Um, and part of my story, 2017 was married and divorced in the same year publicly and in ministry. And before that moment, you know, we've always, you always think you've been through life until life just smacks you in the face. And that was one of those moments in my life where um, the thing that I swore would never happen to me ended up feeling like the only thing I'd ever be known for, which was this woman that got divorced in ministry. Cause I had never really seen someone young Christian leader that had been divorced, you know? And I just remember saying to God, if you give me a testimony, I'll tell it. And that's how I kind of live my life. And I've lived my life openly and honestly, and it's kind of the only way I know how now. And I'm an Enneagram three. So that took me a journey in its own self, uh, but I'm grateful for it. And God has been so faithful. And um, I'm a firm believer that he doesn't tie up all of our loose ends. He doesn't do it. We keep waiting for him to, but he doesn't do it. He just, what he does though, I found that he doesn't tie them up, but he does tie them into the story. And he has been so faithful in my healing journey. And that was 2017. And um, not only did God heal my heart, but he gave me the gift of wholeness that I don't know that I had before. And what I had always thought as the sheltered church kid, 
I knew that I was given a gift to preach. I knew that I had God had blessed me with gifts to communicate and to lead, but I always thought I had to wait till I had a husband to do that. Um, and what I have found is that a husband will be able to add to that in the same way that I'll be able to add to him. Uh, but they don't do your calling for you. I will stand before God without a husband. I will stand before God without my dad, without my parents, without the church community. And I will give an account one day about what he asked me to do. And so it's been a lifelong journey of realizing who God has called me to be and not apologizing for it. And in the same way, finding what it actually looks like to be the body of Christ, where I do, I play my part, you guys play your part. And the, the, the church, the the vehicle for the mission of God that Jesus left us when he went to heaven, um, the mandate has not changed. The message is still the same. And each of us has a part to play in that. And so if I spend my life connecting people to that, um, I'm pretty happy with that. So in a nutshell, it's the ups and downs and the good and the bad and the ugly of life. And I'm just trying to learn the lessons and love Jesus, honestly. <laughs> for sure. Yes. For sure. And I think that collectively, mm -hmm. like we are the church and we get to, it, we get to, it's mm -hmm. not that we have to, I... it's, it's, we get to, it's an honor. And um, we love teaming up with you, with others, and especially with people who are zealous, mm -hmm. passionate just um, fanatical about Jesus and the next mm -hmm. generation. And you were actually with us at the first ever post, um, Young Adults Today Leader Conference yeah. back in what, July. Mm -hmm. um, and I mean, talk about what you remember from that. Oh, it was so much fun. That's what I love what you guys do is you build the local church and you do it by connecting local churches to remind us all that we are the church and we all have different expressions and different accents. But until we learn to work together, we're siloing ourselves and kind of disconnected from what God told us to do, which was build the church, not our kingdom. And so what I loved about what you guys did on that day was you brought all of these people that were influencing and leading the next generation on the West Coast. And we got together and it wasn't come and listen to everyone's TED Talks. It was so interactive. And I remember I loved that we start on the first day with almost like a where are you right now type thing, a bit of a um, we took stock of where we're at in our life. And that was equal parts uncomfortable as it was significant, I think, for the whole weekend. And what I loved was that there was no room for small talk or uh, networking because there was such intentional connection that was happening in that gathering. And um getting the privilege to to add to the conversation um, was so fun. But what I love to see more is that everyone had a voice, whether they had a microphone or not, everyone had a voice and it was so collaborative and um, so unifying. And I'm just, um, I was honored to be there, but really, truly what it is doing is pretty incredible in the body of Christ. And so I don't think it'll be the last one, but I'm so glad I was at the first one. That's let's amazing. Go. And Elise, you literally just shared our heart in those few sentences that you shared, because that's our passion. That's our one of our goals mm -hmm. to see the local church connected and to see leaders know that you are not alone as a leader. Like right. God mm -hmm. may have you on a different like course of life or a different way or approach in ministry, but we're all on the same team. Like we're all right. on the battlefield, longing and willing to fight till the end because the battle has been won, but there's work in the process. And 
Um, I love that you talked about even just the table talk and the discussion that we had, like we did a SWOT analysis. We looked through our strengths, weaknesses, opportunities, threats. We didn't look at the surface level of like, Hey, how are you? What do you do? Where are you at? How many followers do you have? No, no, no. How's your soul? Mm -hmm. Do you want to give up right now? Because I guarantee every single one of us at some point, past, present, or future are going to ask ourselves, why are we doing this? And, and what do we do? Yeah. What we do and is anybody else doing it? And are we alone? And one thing about the generations, whether you're a millennial listening or you are a Gen Z or listening, we know that leadership is essential. And Josiah has a question he has been asking for years. And he's like, Micah, where are all the good leaders? And I think what COVID did is it really exposed the people in the spaces and places of organizations, churches who are doing it were and are doing it well, or maybe are bigger thinkers, or maybe have a bigger budget to where they can accomplish some of those things. But when it comes to the generations of millennials, and it comes to the generation of Gen Z, there's always this question I think people ask, and it's, what do you do? It's not, hi, nice to meet you. How's your soul? It's, what do you do? So when it comes to the generations, um, you've worked with lots of different women and men of all ages, I think, but you've kind of did some fun networking and put together some fun groups with women, just trying to just disciple them, come alongside them. But I would just be curious, um, even just maybe even being in the U.S. alone, because you flew halfway across the world, right, to be here and to, to be on mission for Christ. And what do you notice that's different with the people you've been working with when it comes to Gen Z and millennials? And how does that impact how we lead or maybe how we should shift our approach and our leadership when we're leading different um, generations? Yeah, it's such a good question, isn't it? And I think that being a millennial myself, First of all, I'm very offended that Gen Z seem to hate memes. I don't know. They, I found out the other day they don't like memes. So that was, I had to take that to the Lord. Um, <laughs> but I love Gen Z so much. And here's why I love them. I love them because they have, oh, I don't know if I can say this. Uh, you can you can cut this out if I'm not allowed to say this, but I feel like they have a really great BS barometer. And uh, and I, growing up as a church kid, I had the same thing, but in a different, they have it in kind of like everything they have. High, I feel like Gen Z have very high discernment. And if you think we about won't cut that out, by the way, we won't, we're not gonna... okay, great. Love that. Well, I didn't say any actual bad words. It's just like, sometimes, you know, I really try to be behaved. I do. I try in my life just to be behaved. And you don't want Australian, the <laughs> you know, it's just, you know, yeah. um, uh, but I really like uh, what I love um, being a millennial we grew up in the age of reality shows. If you think about it, we had the MTV. That's when like reality shows, the like newlyweds, what was they like uh, Jessica Simpson and Nick Lachey when they had that, like it was one of the first reality shows. And we grew up on, we grew up on behind the scenes and that was millennials. We wanted to know what was happening behind the scenes, but it was still curated. It was still filtered. It was still a form of, if you will, a filtered vulnerability, better than the previous generation who everything is fine all the time until my life goes up in flames and I can no longer hide the fact that everything is not quite fine. Millennials, we had a bit more of a grasp to be able to say not everything's awesome, but it was still filtered. What I feel like with Gen Z is I feel like if millennials wanted to see behind the scenes, Gen Z want to be able to smell like your morning breath. Like they want it straight. They're like, give it to me straight. And if I feel like you're giving me an answer that you think I want to hear or an answer that you just want to give me, I'm going to walk away. And what I'm seeing with Gen Z is more than ever, 
they're not religious, but those that are more than ever want the real relationship with God. They don't want the uh, big smoke show thing, the professional. They don't want professional Christianity. And I think that that is something where you better be careful, where you get a whole generation that want the real thing. You might just spark revival because they're either going to walk away completely from the church, which I don't believe they will, or they are going to bring in the next reign of revival because they are not satisfied with the show. And I think that we have so much to learn from Gen Z and for all of the things that we make fun of them for. And as millennials, it's okay, I think, because they make fun of us equally. And I have changed my side part to a middle part. You know, that's what you have to do. Uh, but I think that with Gen Z and millennials, there is a beautiful relationship that can happen there. They have things to teach us and we have things to teach them. And um, I think that if we could find that sweet spot of like literally the there's no limit, I think, because unstoppable for yeah. sure. Yeah, it's real. It's authentic. I agree with you. I, I I picture this sweet spot as you're just describing it of part traditional mentoring, mentor, mentee, part reverse mentor where the mentee is teaching the mentor something and part peer mentorship where we are all learning from each other. I think that's the sweet spot. I just yes, pictured good. as you're kind of describing yeah. that, Elise. And I mean, what what approach or what approaches have you taken when discipling the next generation or what approaches are you dreaming of, innovating, thinking of? I think that for me, uh, it's going to sound strange maybe, but the approach I'm taking is clarity. I think that for a really long time, we were pretty vague in our answers in discipleship. Um, and it's not even necessarily that the answers we were giving them weren't true. They just weren't as helpful as they could have been. Um, when you're teaching a baby to walk, you tell them how to put one foot in front of the other. You don't just say, you don't just say, come to me. You do say, come to me, but you also help them in how to outwork that. And you need both. You need the encouragement and the equipping. And I think we've encouraged a lot in some circles and not equipped. And I think in other circles, sure. we've only equipped and not really encouraged. Wow. And I think that what I'm trying to do is I'm trying to mirror a life that someone would want to lead, would want to follow. And I'm trying to be honest, mm -hmm. which means I think for a lot of years in leadership, it was to be a leader, you have to do everything perfectly. You have to be the example. And what I'm trying to do is just be like, hey, here's where I failed. Hey, you know what? I get what you're going through. I don't get that experience exactly. I've never had that quite experience you're describing, but I've had those same emotions. Would you say the emotions you're feeling is frustrated and angry and, and it's kind of hiding some hurt that it's really scary to admit? Oh my gosh, that's what I'm going through. Cool. So this was my experience because I'm a firm believer that you don't have to have been through the same experiences to be able to relate to the same emotions. And you don't have to have had the exact same chapters in your life to be able to relate to somebody else. And so all I'm trying to do and it's not a strategic, practical five-step process. It's honestly just being really honest about my scars and not watering down the standard that God called us to while also being really honest about the moments that that's a real genuine tension. And then I think the other thing is um, curiosity is always going to be better than criticism. 
And I think that that was something I learned through my divorce process was I had grown up being very critical of myself and I actually didn't leave a lot of room for deep diving why I did the things I did. So I would always try to go for like behavioral correctment instead of transformation. Like, why do I do these things? Why am like, I, I had to dig deeper and find the bruises in my life that had caused the behaviors that I was trying to change. And I think that um, for a long time in church, it was like, now you're saved, now be different. And it's like, well, God heals from the inside out. It's a process. And so um, that's a big thing I've had to learn. And I really try to, to go after is like, let's have a deeper conversation and be able to sit in the uncomfortable bruises that life has given us and understand that as God heals us, you can't help but be transformed on the outside. Right. You just can't be, you can't help it. You can't help it. And so rather than saying we have a generation that should be acting this way, why don't we just hang out with them? Because if you do hang, become who you hang out with and you don't like the people around you and how they're behaving, or you see some things in Gen Z you wish could change, well, then why don't you hang out with them? Mm -hmm. Why don't you mirror it? Why don't you be example? Because they're going to be who they hang around with. But I think sometimes the problem is the people that are so busy criticizing Gen Z aren't even the people that Gen Z want to hang out with anyway. So you can criticize something you're not a part of, but that's you sitting on the sidelines. That's you being the old guy that's still yelling at the screen of the Super Bowl because you played one season of college football, my guy. Like you don't get the Super Bowl. You're not in the game. You're not in the game. And it's really easy to criticize the people in the game. It's a whole other thing to pick up the ball and be on the same team. And I think that that is what we need to find is we need people that will go first to lead with vulnerability but not lead with bleeding on people. Does that make sense? So it's yeah. like leading with my scars, but not watering down the standard that God's called us to live at. And I think that when we can couple my scars with, I'm on this journey to live at this standard too. We're not compromising on standard, but we're being honest about our scars. I think there is a beauty in there that 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 I am not great at, but I'm trying really hard to, to um to go with. I don't even know if that answered your question. No, that's so good. At least you hit it so really did. What what I hear you saying without saying it is this is what I'm interpreting it as. And this is yeah. how I've explained it. They the Gen Z, they can spot somebody who's transactional. It's transactional. I'm not a part of it. It's mm -hmm. relational. I'm gonna lean in. And I think sometimes when we come to God as leaders, God is not a transactional God. He's a relational God. And if he's relational and we're supposed to be more like Christ, then we need to be like you're saying, those leaders who are in the game, who we're not going to be the ones complaining. We're not going to be the ones at the Super Bowl. Like Josiah says, he's like, yeah, there's however many, well, 11 oh, men, 22 men on the field. Um, but there's 66,000 of us who need exercise, but we're the ones criticizing, right? So it's like, it's putting this into perspective of we're going to be leaders and we're expecting, it's like when you're married and you have unmet expectations for a spouse until well, those not even friendships, like any right? relationship, right? Right. But until those expectations are verbalized and I'm willing to come alongside and admit I'm ugly, I'm bruised, I'm hurting. I'm, I'm yet to be whole to the fullness of Christ until I see Jesus face to face. Yes. But we're all on this journey. And if we can be leaders that lead with open hands of saying, I'm willing to hold your hand through this. It's relational. It's not transactional. The moment I get something from you, I'm going to walk. And I think so many times when it comes to the church, it comes to leadership, it comes sure. to hurt, it comes to deep wounds, uh, whether we're leaders or we're young adults listening or whatever, 
the standard that God has called us to is to abide and it's spending time with Christ and it's abiding with Christ to become more like him so we can truly be the hands and feet of Christ. Yep. And I would just be so curious when I, when I ask this next question, you can take it however you want friendships, yeah. relationships, um, marriage, parenting, like parental, um, relationship with our, our parents, our aunts, uncles, cousins, fill in the blank, just people at large. How do we abide in Christ when we are experiencing what we said? Like maybe the church has unintentionally abandoned a generation abandon us as individuals, or we're experiencing personal abandonment on the side of eternity. How do we abide in Christ when we are experiencing abandonment on earth? Oof. It's such a good question because I think whether we want to admit it or not, whether we want to deny it and think that that makes the issue go away or not, the truth is, is that our earthly experience affects our relationship with God. And you live in this world longer than 47 seconds and someone will disappoint you. You be in the church for longer than one service on one Sunday. Don't try to double up on services because then you'll get double up of the disappointment. Because as soon as we realize that people are human and our human nature is to put people on pedestals, there is a gap between our expectations and our reality. And it hurts. And I had that firsthand experience of, walking down the aisle and promising a man forever who repeated those same vows back to me only 11 months later to be staring at the void where I thought there would be someone there forever. And suddenly I had this moment of, God, did you set me up to fail? Did you set me up to fail? Because I did all the right things. And I think sometimes in when you've grown up in church or you've grown up around religious activities, you can have this theology of works, which is if I do good things, God will reward me. If I do bad things, God will punish me. We can have this theology of if I follow the formula, I'll get the life that they say. Like the honestly, though, the white picket fence life, I'll get the American dream. And we call it a blessing as if God created the, the American dream. That's not the life I read in the Bible, but that's for a whole other discussion. <laughs> um, but if I follow the formula, I'll get favor. The problem with a formula is that they work great in textbooks, but I have not seen one yet work for everyone's life, nor do I see formulas in the Bible. If God's speaking to people, there are principles, yes. There are truths to live by, yes. But is there a five-step formula in the Bible for the perfect life? Absolutely not. Why? Because it takes the faith out of it. Wow. And I think the thing that happens to us when we have been abandoned, whether it was me who had been abandoned by my husband or I've been abandoned by friends, and guess what? I've abandoned people too. That's what sucks. When you start looking in the mirror and being like, dang it, (laughs) it may look a little different, but I have to take responsibility for the moment that I've disappointed people, for the moment that I've judged people instead of being curious about them, for the moment that I've seen someone walking on a Sunday and I felt the prompting of the Holy Spirit to go and be a friend to them. And I didn't, I was too busy doing ministry. We've all got to understand that we've experienced abandonment and we probably played some role, whether we were aware, aware of it or not in somebody else's. 
And so what do we do with that? What do we do with the abandonment of life? How do we come to God when we've been disappointed before? How do we do it? And for me, when I was going through my divorce, my dad had flown to uh, America to be with me and to help me just, um, I was going to go back to Australia for a few months just to grieve and get some really good therapy and um, do Psalm 23, letting God like lay me down on green pastures slash Australian beaches during the summer just to get some good, you know, body, soul, spirit repair. Anyone that has been through heartbreak knows that that's important. And um, so I had just had to pack up my apartment and I thought it was a small task, but I found that often it's the small tasks in the painful seasons that end up being the hardest to do. And my dad had asked me a few times, like, hey, babe, I can come and help you pack up the apartment. And I was like, no, 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 dad. I've got it. Don't worry. And I couldn't not be mad at the people that were helping me the most during that season. And it's a really frustrating place to be. Anyone that's been there will understand when you're going through grief, true, true, true grief, painful stuff that you don't think you're going to make it out of. Sometimes the last thing we want to do is to lash out of the people closest to us. And yet we feel like we keep doing it. I just can't not be angry. Like the people that are closest to us helping us, they end up getting the overflow of our anger, which is just covering our hurt. And that's what was happening with me and my dad. And I was like, no, it's fine. Whatever. I'll do it myself. I'll I'll meet you at the hotel. And he's like, okay. And so I'm in my apartment, abandoned by my husband, knowing that the right thing to do is to let him go, is to trust God, is to let go and let God. And it's so much easier to preach than it is to live. And so I pack up my apartment. And I'm standing there in the middle of my lounge room, looking at all of uh, my suitcases. And I don't know if you guys probably do know the feeling that, you know, but when you leave this room, whatever room you're in, we know when we leave this apartment, when we leave this church today, after the service, when we leave this car, nothing's the same. As soon as I close this door on this room, Hmm. I'm closing the door on a season and I don't know how to do that. So Mm -hmm. it wasn't that I couldn't physically carry my suitcases out the apartment. It was honestly that I couldn't leave the season. And in that moment of being an abandoned wife, I knew that to abide in God looked like calling my earthly dad because God will often come through with and through people to show us his faithfulness. But sometimes we're not willing to experience that. So I call my dad, he comes to my apartment, comes in, takes my hand, leads me to the balcony, prays over me, closes the season and says, come on, babe, let's go home. We walk back inside and my dad takes all of my suitcases, all of my bags, gives me my little tiny handbag and says, (laughs) "Um, let's go home. And as I follow my dad out that night, close the door in the apartment and on the season, and I'm following him down the hallway. I felt this little whisper from the Holy Spirit saying, Elise, take a photo of this. You're going to want to remember this moment. And I took my phone out, took a blurry photo of my dad in front of me, leading the way, catch this, leading the way out of abandonment and back home, physically representing something that was actually a bigger spiritual picture of the father. And suddenly I knew oh, my ex-husband abandoned me. He left me. He quit on our marriage. But God didn't. 
and my dad didn't. And there are people that were the, the fallout and the divorce, friends that I lost, but I had people. And I think so often it's in those moments of abandonment that God wants to actually show us and reveal to us who he is if we will let him. And the temptation, if God has a plan, always we know that the enemy has a counter plan or a counterfeit plan. And so for me being abandoned, it was a perfect time for me to also isolate myself and push away everybody else that God was trying to bring bring close or And I thank God for that moment that I had that photo on my phone and that I preached that message and put that photo on the screen um, every time I'm preaching to anyone at the moment, because it is the most beautiful picture of the father's heart. He is not the ball and chain that religion has told people that he is. He is the father that comes into our mess when everybody else has abandoned us, when our heart has been broken beyond what we think is ability to be be able to put back together again, when it physically hurts, the heartache physically aches. Those are the moments that the father wants to come in and not criticize. It's not point the finger and say, I can't believe you have all this baggage. He picks up our weight and he leads the way home. And when we know that that is the father's heart, that is who he is abiding in him. Suddenly the thing we were trying to push away becomes a safe place that we crave. And there is a season that I'm currently walking through. Well, just a couple of weeks ago, I had this image of crawling onto a father's lap. And just being there and crying because whether it's questions we have, whether it's loneliness, we feel, whether it's tears that are the prayers that we don't quite have words for, no matter what you're walking through, no matter what your earthly experience has been, the abiding with him is the first thing. And honestly, the most important thing, and maybe sometimes the only thing that he's asking us to do. He's not asking us to pretend the pain isn't there. He's not asking us to have answers where we don't have answers. He's not asking us to go back to a church that was hurting us. He's not asking us to go back to a person that was hurting us. He's simply asking, can you can you crawl into my lap? Can you let me take the weight for a second? And can you one step at a time follow me and I'll lead the way home? And I think somewhere in there, it switches from I was abandoned by people to, no, no, no. Some people fell away so that God could reveal not just the people who had placed around me, but who he is in a deeper way that catch this, I would have never, ever been able to experience unless I'd been abandoned. So suddenly we turn around and just like Joseph in Genesis, we can say you meant for evil, but God turned it all around for good. That's right. That's, um, I don't know, it was a revelation that broke my heart to catch. And I would never want to jump back in again, but I can truly say that I'm grateful for it. Mm-hmm. Thank you for going there. My, oh my. I was just going to say, Elise, mm-hmm. thank you for just your courage and vulnerability to share such, such deep stuff. That is really powerful. Of course. I, I Listen, I promised him. I said, you give me a testimony. And I'll tell it. And I think that there is something so beautiful to being on this side of it, but not yet on the other side of it. Because I know God's still going to fulfill his promise. I know I still have a family one day. I know that I get married and have the cutest babies in the whole entire world. I know that that is my future. 
but I can still have the faith right now to see what God's doing even before he's tied it all up. And I think that in our world that wants to tie up all the loose ends before we tell the testimony, Mm. I don't think heaven's like that. Heaven rejoices when Mm -hmm. we come home. Heaven doesn't rejoice when we clean up everything. Heaven rejoices when we decide. And I think Mm. that um, that's what I'm really grateful for. I love it. Come as we are. Wow. I had one takeaway and now I have, I think, two that I'll share. My one takeaway that I was going to share is that um, I think it's important. What I'm learning in this season is to not just share stories from my life where I look like the hero. Yeah. That makes sense. Yes. Um, I think just to share stories that, you know what, I'm the villain sometimes, or I'm, I'm a human and, and, or Jesus is the hero. That's really what this yeah. is all getting at. But then the the second part of the story is I think in my life, it's, it's sometimes hard to share from the middle, what you just said. Mm-hmm. And I think of some of our close friends, their son had a brain tumor and I think eight days he's been in the hospital and, and he's cancer free. They mm-hmm. had a successful surgery. He's on his road back to, you know, health and, and recovery and everything, doing some rehab. But I mean, one of the things that their faith has inspired me is they've shared the story through the hardest parts of it, through the middle of it, through the mess of it. Mm-hmm. And I think that um, that's how life happens. So I think my takeaway might be to have more real life stories that maybe they feel incomplete Mm. to people because the message is still in process. Wow. Wow. That is, that is it. That's it. Like that's the, um, I, I think that I grew up with preachers telling stories that had happened from like 20 years ago. And those are powerful stories. Cause I do believe there are life testimonies that we learn about God. Right. But then that was always my challenge was like, can I tell a story that I haven't quite walked out yet, but I have enough perspective to have some kind of revelation on? That's good. We also have a generation of oversharing, right? That (laughs) will put online things that should still be behind closed doors. You know what I mean? There's a premature phrase, a little premature phase. Yeah. Yeah. And so I wasn't talking about this like this in 2017. Mm -hmm. It took me a while. Yeah. But as God healed layers, I was prepared to share layers. And so I think that there is a beautiful balance with that, that, um, but if we can navigate that, I don't always get it right, but if we can, there's so much power in testimony. They overcome, they overcame by the blood of the lamb and the word of the testimony. Sometimes the healing is in the sharing. Yes. It's so good. I was just, um, just heard somebody ask John Mark Comer, they're asking about deconstruction and and what do we do? And, and he goes, well, hey, you can give them all the intellectual space that they need or that you want. But relationally, a lot of people are just like, let them slip away. And he's like, that's when the church mm-hmm. is a church, like lean in. And I, I just think that there's there's no formula to your point earlier. Like, the, but, but if we're just willing to be the hands and feet, if we're willing to be, mm-hmm. let God lead and guide and direct and have that faith I think that um we'll be able to be used by him Mm -hmm. I love that I think I mean if you look in scripture who Jesus used they were just a bunch of knuckleheads that said yes and they didn't even always say yes that's what I love about him there were times when they didn't they didn't say yes well they said yes and then they backtracked 
He stepped yep. out of the boat and then he started sinking. He was like, I'm just kidding. I didn't, I don't want to anymore. I hate this. Like, <laughs> that's me. Hmm. I say yes in my most spiritual moments. But two seconds later, I can feel the wind and I can see the waves around me. And I'm like, I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. I don't want to play this game anymore. Like, help. And it gives me hope because I I think um, I think the more you grow up, having this realization too, growing up in a church family, pastor's kid, my dad was the pastor of a fairly well-known church in Australia. Um, I thought I was, um, <laughs> this is going to sound great. I thought I was like spiritual royalty. Okay. <laughs> she, she had a big head. Let's say that. <laughs> I was like, oh my gosh. Like I used to be in all the green rooms as the church kid, the annoying entitled church kid. That was me. And I apologize for anybody that I came into contact with. Uh, she's been humbled now. Don't worry. Um, but as you grow up and you realize your parents are human, um, they're not the superheroes you once thought they were. Sometimes, and it happened for me, it kind of was this moment where I was like, well, well, does that mean that maybe God hasn't called me to these things that I thought he called me to? Somehow in the reflection of my parents um, who were phenomenal people and loved me as perfectly as humanly possible and I will forever be grateful for them. But as I looked around and life just started to happen, I was like, oh my gosh, life is so much harder than I thought. And this is going to have to be so much more of a miracle than I first thought. That that was where I actually started to take comfort in what I never used to relate to, which is that God could use the least of these. In the humbling of realizing your own weaknesses is the same moment that you realize you are so ready to be used by God. Because while you think you're a shoo-in, while you think that, of course, God would use me, while you think, because I've got the legacy, because I've got the genes, because I've got the lineage, it's all in your own strength and you're actually not ready to be used by God yet because you'll take the credit for it. Could it not maybe be that it's in the very moment that you go, God could not possibly use me anymore, that you are poised and ready. Mm, and at that rock bottom, that can be the exact solid foundation that you need to be used by God to rise and do all that he's called you to do. I think so that's good. so good. That's so good to just encourage the listener. If you feel like, Maybe there's a little bit of entitlement or maybe a little bit of abandonment or a little bit of insecurity. Like we can take all those things before God. And I'm just reminded of when, when Jesus is walking on the water, right. And Peter says, what does Peter say? It is Jesus never says, Hey, come to me, come walk on the water. Peter asks, can I come to you? Like, that's what he asks. And then he takes his eyes off and he starts sinking. They starts freaking out. And I think sometimes we, that's us maybe going to God with some things and it's like, did, did Jesus ask us or did God ask us to do that? Or are we just asking permission? You know, and I'm not to say that it's out of cadence with God, but is it out of timing? Like, so using those timing, the timing, timing matters. Yes. And you even said that today, you said, Hey, I was going to go to the gym today and I, I wasn't late, but I wasn't early. And I was right on time. Just like, just like God is he's always on. Time, <laughs> yeah. Right? yeah. Speaking of speaking of being humble, I said <laughs> on my Instagram story, cause I was driving to my workout this morning now this will live on a podcast forever you guys and I got there and it was an 8 a.m class and I got there at 7 59 I was walking to the door at 8 a.m so I wasn't I wasn't early but she wasn't late okay and they had locked the doors already and I was so frustrated because I was like ah but it's true it's that it's that for the first time maybe ever in my life I had said to her Instagram I was like I wasn't late I wasn't early 
I was just like our Lord Jesus Christ. I was right on time. Right on time. And speaking of right on time, are you up for the five and five challenge, Elise? Let's do it. Ah. Let's do a five in five. Let's see what happens. I've never been short of words. So we'll see if we Never been short of words. All right, here we go. Question number one. Why do you believe that discipling the next generation of young adults is so critical? Because Jesus was always using people in the next generation. You look through the Old Testament, you look through all the people that, that, that God used in the Bible, very few of them, although he used everyone, these moments that we love, they're usually by a teenager. And God created generations for a reason, and it wasn't just so that it would populate the earth. It was so this story could be told from generation to generation to generation, and there would be something that built It wasn't just so it would be passed down. I believe it would be so it would be built, that there is something that God created in this next generation that will add a layer to the spiritual lineage that we come from. Beautiful. Oh my gosh, that fires me up. What's a hobby that you are excited about that other people should be too? (gasps) That's a good question. What's a hobby? Okay, okay. I have been getting into pickleball and I'm sorry. I'm sure everyone probably says that I'm not very good at it, but I'm very enthusiastic and that's how I live my life. Even if I don't have the skill, I'm passionate and I can get by with a lot of passion. So big fan of pickleball. Um, I just like anything active, anything in the sun. Oh my gosh. I get excited about adventure days, like just hanging out, going on adventure days. Um, Yeah. What about you guys? Am I allowed to put the questions back on you guys? It's funny you should ask. Funny you should ask because here's the curveball. Here's the pickleball curveball. I don't really know how to play the game. I haven't played it since seventh grade. But if you could ask us any question under the sun, what would you ask us today? Oh, that's not the one I would ask you. That's not the one I'd ask you then. I would ask you, um, what is the biggest lesson that you've had to learn the hard way in the last five years? Last five years. Oh, my gosh. Okay, so we've been married for six. Mm Mm-hmm. Okay. Mm-hmm. So we're in marriage. Do you have something? No, go for it. I'll, I'll think. Oh my gosh. The hardest thing I had to learn. There's been many. Oh man. Okay. Here's one. I'd, I'd have to say it's in the parenting realm. Mm-hmm. So we have two daughters. There's two and three, both COVID babies, both C-section, emergency C-sections for both of them. God bless you. God bless oh, you. Thank <laughs> you. I'll receive that. <laughs> All those types of things. But as they grow and as they mature, I believe there's a, you learn how to die to self really fast. They say, get if you want to learn how to die to self, get married. If you want to learn how to become more like Christ, have children. Whoa, I bet that's true. <laughs> so with that, the caveat to that would be, there's a reason why the word of God says, teach a child in the way they should go, not control a child in the way they should go. Wow. Because I've wanted to control situations. I wanted to control emotions. I wanted to control the outcome. But the reality is the smallest person in the room has the biggest voice and the most control at times where you're like, okay, how do I teach you not how to control your emotions, but identify and manage the emotion that you're feeling or the behavior that lovingly needs to be corrected and taught how we (laughs) should behave or don't behave without controlling and shutting them down emotionally and running them off the road. Um, So there's no damage control. I'll need to have them in counseling 20 years from now. (laughs) So I really have really prayed ever since Aurora turned two. So it's already been what a year and a half where I'm like, okay, Lord, help me to teach our children in the way they should go, not control. 
because right. I feel like when we have the helicopter parents and all those different things that we've seen generationally, I want to teach equip because I want gritty girls. I want girls that are going to have to problem solve, that are going to have space to fail. Not that I desire them to fail, but give them space to fail, but love them when they do. Um, yeah. And just to have the, the, I just, they have the ability to fight for the things that Christ has for them. Like, how do we create yeah. that? So those are some little things that I've learned and I'm glad. I think I learned them early on. Cause I've just been praying, God, give me wisdom, give me knowledge, give me discernment, help me to die to self. Cause this really sucks. Like <laughs> I want this, but they want that, but God, you're saying something different. So how do we do that? <laughs> Anyway, what do you have? To say? Man, um, I'll, I'll, uh, I'll share mine in hopefully a minute or less. Like, I think the lesson that I've learned, it was like the biggest thing I've learned the hard way, right? Yeah. So I think that in this season right now, we're about a year and a half into the launch of a nonprofit of young adults today. So we came out of, before that it was campus ministry. Before that, it was a local church leading young adults. And I guess- the thing that I'm embarrassed to say, like, I wish I would have had more faith. I guess mm. that'd be the simple thing because even coming back from the West Coast Conference, like we took a hit as a family to to be able to do that. Like we spent what we had of resources in the bank for our ministry and um, got back and just started doing math. And I, I was so stressed like three, four months ago, so stressed. Um, I know God's called us to do this, uh, all the, all of the things, but the, the thing that I'm trying to figure out with God is like, okay, what percentage of it is like mine to steward and what percentage of it is yours to just provide. And all that to say, there was a day, like we had a fundraiser, basically mm -hmm. like a dessert reception, mm -hmm. about half of our monthly need came in in one night. So we set up like a couple dozen meetings with people who couldn't come that wanted to. And so we're starting to work down the list, meet with the guy and like in a meeting, God took care of a significant wow. amount of the needs of our ministry. And I just, it was a miracle, but I, I walk away from that moment being like, man, I, I wish I would have had more faith, but I guess <laughs> it just took me longer to learn that God is faithful even in this if that makes sense. Yes. It makes all the sense in the world. It's so funny, isn't it? When you look back on the moments that we're drowning, <laughs> like we're drowning, that Jesus takes our hand and he's like, why, why did you doubt? And he's not asking it critical, but you feel the conviction. Yeah. Yep. And yet next time, <laughs> Faith is the good. amount of times I've been drowning and forgotten the other times when you rescued me, I'm like, Dang it. Sorry. 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 I'll remember next time. I remember. Yes. And so listen, I get that for sure. Oh, that's a good one. Yeah. That's a good one. But, um, okay. Question four back Ooh, to you. you. If you could travel one place and bring one snack, where would you go? What would you bring? Ooh. I'd go to heaven. <laughs> I just, I'm curious. I, I love it. I love it. No one's ever went. said that. I love it. <laughs> I'd go to heaven. Um, I'd probably take some Tim Tams because they feel like a heavenly snack. They're in Australia. What? What's a Tim Tam? Oh my goodness. I'm about to change a life. These are Tim, they're a chocolate cookie with like a soft-ish center, but then like hard, a biscuit or like hard cookie. And then in like chocolate, 
they are if because they're to me heaven on earth so i would take heaven on earth and just compare it to heaven that's what i would do that's so fun i love that creative answer thank you are they are they um um australian or, or do we have these in america so you do have them at like a world market cost plus, but they're made here. So the Australian ones in Australia are made on us. And you can tell the difference if you're a Tim Tam connoisseur. Anyone Which out one's better? Tim Tam Australian. Come on. Okay. Come on, Micah. Come on. I figured you'd say that, but I just, I know. We try to replicate a lot of things here in America. Oh, Tim Tam. Tim Tam. Oh, they look like this. Yes. <laughs> Listen, they are so good. We have some Australian friends. We'll have to tell them next time they're down there to... Can you smuggle them across the seas? I don't know if that's- Do it. You would not. love them. You will love them. Next time I go, I'll get a pack and send them over your way. Okay. If you're not, oh, Brad and Carly, they'll, oh, they can send some truth. All right. So last and final question. We have one yes, question yes. left for you. If you could leave the listener with one word of encouragement today, what would you want to leave them with? You know, as we've been having this conversation, there is a story in the Bible that keeps coming back to me and I don't know why. So maybe it's for this. And it's this story and um, Jonathan, who was da King David's armor bearer um, and also uh, Saul's son. Um, they're at a battle and Saul is just like the favor of the Lord has left Saul. He's basically sulking underneath a terebinth tree and just like sad about life. And he's like losing the battle and all this kind of stuff. They're not making any progress against the enemy. And so Jonathan takes his armor bearer and goes across the valley, across the cave. And they're just kind of like looking at the enemy. They're looking at the land. They're just sizing it up. And Jonathan has this moment of faith where he says, let's go over here. And then he gives just the worst strategy. Like it just wouldn't have made the boardroom in any kind of war room strategy time. And he goes, um, let's, let's see, let's go over there. Perhaps the Lord will act on our behalf. Perhaps the Lord will win this battle for us. And the amount of times I look back on my life and I was fasting and praying and trying and seeking and just carrying the weight of my future on my shoulders, trying to wait for God to tell me exactly what I was meant to do next. And there was a small whisper that it'd be like a random strategy a random idea, a random thought of a next step. And it's in those moments where it's just been like, I'm going to submit this to you, Lord. I'm going to do it with faith. And who knows? Perhaps the Lord will come with me and fight this battle for me. And I think sometimes, especially as Christians, we can spend so long agonizing over, is this God? And I've just found that with the right and pure heart that God can always change my direction, but he will not step in if I haven't taken the first step. And I think that so often we can be so scared to take the first step that we take no step, not even realizing that sometimes all God is after is our movement is our yes is that step. And from there we're like, Oh my gosh, I took that step. And now this door opened. I took that. And even if it's not quite the right direction, with a submitted and surrendered heart, important, and a faith that says perhaps the Lord, I think it's actually so much more simple. And simple is always more difficult. But if we would do it, who knows? Perhaps the Lord. Oh, I love that. What a great 
Oh man, thought to leave us with, to wrestle with, because I think every single one of our listeners, you might feel like you're up against the wall. You might feel Mm -hmm. like you've reached the end of yourself. You may be desiring for the Lord to tie up those loose strings in your life. But like Elise said, perhaps the Lord abiding in him, spending time. 1 Samuel Samuel 14, for those that want to go and read this story. Love it. For Samuel 14, if you want to tune into that. Elise, we have absolutely loved our time with you. You are a wellspring of knowledge and encouragement. And we could not be more thrilled to you just saying yes to us in the audience today. So thank you. I will always say yes to you guys. I love you guys so much. Thank you. Thank you for the work you're doing. It matters. It's important. And a friend of mine said to me one day, Elise, you're not crazy. You just might be first. And I think that sometimes the things that we step out and do that haven't been done before are the things that make us feel crazy until we remember that everyone was crazy that did something for the first time until they did it. And there's a fine line between crazy and genius. <laughs> so That's I'm right. Ooh, I, I like love that. you guys so much. We appreciate love you. Love you too. Thank you so much for joining us. This is the Young Adult City Podcast. Judge up right now, yeah.